It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 703, that's 703, of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Well, I've got another fantastic episode lined up for you this week. Joining me as my guest today is Scott Ingram. Scott is the host of the Sales Success Stories podcast, as well as the Daily Sales Tips podcast. He's also the author of a new book that's actually coming out next week, uh, I think on April 2nd. It's titled B2B Sales Mentors. Actually, do Scott a solid. Go pre-order your copy on Amazon today. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about personal development, your personal development as a seller. If you're waiting around for your boss, your manager, or the company you work for to sit down and work with you and create a detailed, personalized roadmap for your development as a seller, for your career, you know, to help you get from where you're standing today to where you want to be in a year, two years down the road, well, the odds of that happening are really slim. You have to take ownership of your own development. I know you've heard me talk about this here on the show with other guests. On his podcast, Sales Success Stories, Scott interviews practitioners, as I talked about, and he's found that there's this common thread running through the experiences of these top performers, which is that they have to become a student of sales. You have to treat it as a craft that requires time and investment to learn. I mean, it's, it's not that you can ever become perfect at it, right? It's impossible to become perfect at sales. However, your goal should be to make the gap between you and perfection as small as humanly possible. Now, we're going to get into what personal development means for you as a seller and as a manager. Now, before we get to that, time for my weekly message to you about the sales house, the sales growth engine for B2B sellers. And that's really talking about growth two ways. Your personal development, as Scott and I are going to talk about today, as well as your revenue growth. I mean, you can't get one without the other. Now, one of the most popular features for members in the sales house is a program we call Foundations for Sales Growth. If you're looking to cross that career chasm from where you are today to where you want to be to where you aspire to be, then you want to start with the Foundations for Sales Growth. It's where you learn all about the human selling skills that enable you to grow by selling with curiosity, selling with confidence, selling with acumen to become the very best version of you. So come be the best version of you at the sales house. Visit thesaleshouse.com or thesaleshouse.com forward slash join. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Scott Ingram. Scott, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Andy. Great to see you as always. Likewise. When I'm not seeing you uh, on the Peloton leaderboard, uh, some class pushing 500 watts on your bicycle, you know, I, I love I love those classes. I used to teach. I don't know if you knew this. I used to teach indoor cycling, and the Peloton does everything I always wanted. You know, it's I, I'm so driven by the the competition and being able to see mm. other people's metrics. So it's it's the perfect tool for me. It's it's uh, keeps me in shape. Yeah, no, I really enjoy it. I've been, you know, I'm I'm. <laughs> older than most people that are doing it. So it's, it's, you know, if I see somebody I'm competing with and we're sort of, you know, on a similar trajectory and they're in their thirties, I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, it's, I, I, I feel like I experience the opposite every now and then like, wait, how did that guy in his sixties just pass me? What's going on here? <laughs> that could be me. There you go. Could be me. I don't know. You're probably pushing more Watts than I am, but so anyway, um, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to talk about Profession, personal and professional development in the show today. And 
Yeah, this is sort of an interesting topic. We're near the beginning of the the sales year when we're starting or recording this conversation. It'll come out a little bit later, but uh, it's it's a topic that's always current. It's one that that professional sellers should always pay attention to is is what are they doing to to improve? And we sort of seem to maybe the first thing we'll dig into dig into is there's sort of this conundrum that exists, which is that. And I think this is there's a little bit of generational differences with some of these, but increasingly, I think uh, the newer cohort of people in sales have what I consider a very reasonable expectation that companies will invest more in their development than they're getting. And I don't know if you're seeing that. I, certainly, I'm seeing it. It's, it's actually it's you know it's compared to when I started my career, where you know, I spent eight weeks, my first twelve months. On the job in classroom training, um, yeah, you just don't see that happening anymore. Yeah, well, I, I had a very similar experience. My first real professional selling job was with ADP, and gosh, I want to say that that onboarding program was at least four months, and so there was probably twenty to thirty hours a week of training where we were getting on calls, and then you would and you but you would do work in between, so it was a really great. Mm-hmm structure, right? So you'd you'd learn stuff and then you'd go do stuff and you'd learn stuff and you'd do stuff. And then it culminated in two weeks of an on-site training program. It was it was absolutely incredible. And I think the challenge with that and the reason that's you're not finding that as often is just because of tenures, right? People don't stick around. I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what the latest studies are saying, but I'm going to guess that the average seller stays in in a particular role with the same company on average between I don't know maybe 18 and 24 months. So I, it's going to be hard for a company to invest in six months and and realize I'm not going to get a real return on this unless they're here for three or four years. Well, in that case, you can almost ask the question: what's what's the chicken? What's the egg? Well, fair, fair point, right? But I, I think the way I think about it is you just have to look at what is the reality, right? Wherever you want to put that blame, it is what it is. And I believe that it's really incumbent on the seller to own their own development. Over the course of your career, you're going to be the one that benefits most by improving yourself and improving mm-hmm. your results, regardless of, of where you are. And, and you have to also, in that process, sort of recognize what do you need, right? Where are the biggest areas where you can improve that are going to have the biggest impact versus going into sort of a cookie cutter, this is the process that everybody goes through because I'm, I'm not that shape of cookie. Yeah, well, let's take a step back and, and go back to some of the things you had said is, is yes, I think it's reasonable to expect your company might invest more in you, but to your point exactly, the fact is it's just not going to happen. And only the really major, major companies do it these days, and even not to the degree they did it before. So it's just a hard fact of life. If you're in sales, even if you're a sales manager, I mean, and you're going through a new position, you've got this learning curve, yeah, it's really up to you. Yeah, you have to decide what it is you want to achieve in your career. Uh, what you want to achieve in your life, and yeah, come to the conclusion and come to the understanding that that you are responsible for achieving that ultimately, and you're responsible for making the investments of time and effort that are required to learn what you need to learn to get it to the next level. And it's I sort of rail against this all the time, and you know encourage companies to do more and to invest more, but yeah, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, and, and again, I, I think that you need to 
try and find ways to align with with your company. And and I would hope that that sales managers and sales leaders are thinking about this as well, right? The 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 progressive leaders among us are thinking about how do I develop my people? How do I how do I make them better? And if we can both come to that table, if I have a good understanding of, hey, this is an area that I'm looking to develop, this is a way that I'd like to develop it that probably has a cost associated with it. So, you know, will, will you invest in me? Can I expense this and, and take this as part of my development program? And, and again, if sales leaders are, are willing to look at their people and work with them on those development plans, everybody wins at the end of the day if we take that type of an approach. I think it just comes down to the, the patience and the willingness and, and the focus on it. Because, you know, as, as you know, there's, there's always the pressure of the number today. We're not often thinking about the number in Q3 and, and Q4. We're, we're fo- we, we're, it's all about Q1 right now. Well, that is a challenge. That is a challenge for sellers. I mean, it, I remember earlier in my career is trying to have that longer term perspective and blending that with the fact that I had you know, monthly pressures to hit a number. I was carrying a bag and, hey, clock reset to zero every <laughs> the first of every month, right? But by the same token... Yeah, I was spending time reading, listening to cassette tapes back in those days in our cars, uh, driving to and from calls, listening to Zig Ziglar and Earl Nightingale and all these guys. Um, but yeah, we it's sort of equivalent, obviously, listening to podcasts today, which I do, but, but you had to set aside time to do it. I think this is, to your point earlier, is I think managers would be willing to share the cost at a minimum of a sale seller that comes to and says, look, I want to invest in joining this program, like <laughs> the sales house. And you know, I think managers would be willing to share the cost of that because, you know, A, I think part of the hesitation of uh, sometimes sales managers investing in, in development activities for the reps is, yeah, we'll pay for it, but then we have no way of knowing whether they've actually used it or not. Sure. Sure. Well, if if you look at, I mean, now I'm over sixty interviews into the Sales Success Stories podcast, and and congratulations, thank you. So, for folks who aren't familiar with that show, I only interview active quota carrying individual contributors who are either number one outright, or they're at least in the top one percent of of very large uh, sales organizations. And what I have found consistently in talking with them, the, the best of the best, is there's not just one methodology that they have bought into hook, line, and sinker. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certainly influences. Certainly, they've been influenced by spin selling and Sandler and Challenger and, and all of these things. But the common thread is this being a student of sales and really treating it as a craft and making the time and making that investment in improving yourself. And the only way that you're going to find your own process that works for you is you've got to learn about a lot of different ways, right? You you have to you have to do the reading, you have mm-hmm. to do the listening, you have to go to conferences, you have to find mentors and and peers that are going to help lift you up and coaches and and all of that. But at the end of the day, again, it comes back to you. You have to be the one that's going to assemble all of that knowledge and fit it in to your style and your strengths and who you are and just find what works. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error in there. You know, you're, you're going to screw a lot of stuff up a- along the way. This is not going to all be unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> no, which it rarely is in sales. But, but I think to your, your point you're making is that 
and this is a point I make oftentimes to sellers, especially when I talk to groups, is you look at the people who are in that top 1%, and one of the things they have in common is, you know, they're a little bit of a rebel, a little bit of a rule breaker. You know, they're, they're not following the methodology to a T, the prescribed process to a T. They've, they've earned the right to, to have that sort of freedom. And, you know, it takes a little bit of guts. And this is the thing that I think that, that you know, I see you know, younger sellers sort of a little hesitation on because, again, there's such an emphasis on compliance and conformity these days in sales is that, yeah, I think if you really want to stick out, yeah, you got to learn something new and then take the risk to say, yeah, this this really resonates with me. This is what this is different than what I'm being taught or told to do, and then take the risk and just go do what you think is best. And, well, and that's that's and the I, question I, that I get probably most commonly is Scott, my my boss is telling me I have to do I have to do this right. This is the activity that I'm expected to deliver, but I don't think it's going to work. How do I? Go, go try that other thing. And at, at the end of the day, I think you just have to buckle down and recognize this is going to be a little bit more work in the beginning because you, you need to continue to maintain the standard and deliver what your leadership expects of you. Mm-hmm. And then you need to layer on in sort of an A-B test type of style, do your own thing and measure both of them. And I, what that's going to lead to is you're going to be in a position where you're overperforming because you're doing 150% more work than, than what's expected of you. So one would hope that the results that you're going to see are going to be above average. And then you have the data and then you can say, hey, look, Andy, I tried it your way. I made the 40 calls a day, but in, in, and here's the result that I saw from that. But I've also been testing this other approach And here's the result that I'm seeing there. And I'm actually getting better results over there. So what I'd like to do going forward is to reduce, I won't cut it out entirely. Let me reduce those 40 calls to 20 and let me do more of what I've been trying over here. This this different approach that that I've developed that seems to be working and and allow me to continue this test and I'll share my results with you. Again, as long as you're selling, as long as you're seeing the revenue results, you're going to be able to earn more and more freedom. If you're below plan, if you're, if you're not there and you're suggesting, no, let me try this different way, that's the place you're going to get a ton of pushback. Good luck with that. Well, but even in those cases, I mean, I agree with you. And even in those cases, um, part of the reason could be, is again, you're trying to sell in a way that just doesn't align with your strengths. And so, you know, me personally is... At one stage early in my career, I'd made an agreement with a boss. It just wasn't feasible to do two separate, two separate styles and A B test. I said, "Look, give me sixty days. You know, for the end of sixty days, it's not working. You can fire me, or I'll go back to doing it your way. But uh, you know, give me the give me the room, and yep. then you put the pressure on yourself to perform. And but I think you have to take that risk. You know, if, if you feel like." You're passionate about the product you're selling and the customers you're serving, but something's just not clicking for you. You're just not comfortable with the methodology. To your point earlier, and you're you're reading, you're watching podcast or listening to podcasts, watching videos, uh, yeah, taking care of advantage resources like the sales house, and then you say, "Well, yeah, there's I read something. Yeah, Scott Ingram said that really, really, really resonated with me. I want to use that. Um, talk to your boss. Say, hey." You know, that could, I, I need to take this risk because the alternative is you're just ultimately you're just not going to be happy and you're going to leave. 
And I think that's that's a sign right, right there, right? Do you have that type of relationship with your boss that you feel comfortable having those conversations and that you can go do and, and try those things? Because the other thing that I have seen, and I, and I haven't, this isn't super totally empiric, but it's it's widely anecdotal across all these conversations <laughs> that, I, that I've had. Which is not I, empirical at all, but yeah, go ahead. I don't think that I've talked to anybody that's number one, that's absolutely killing it in a sales role who is in that position despite their boss. You can't overcome your boss and overcome all of the other challenges that you have in Mm -hmm. sales. So part of what you have to uh, kind of qualify for, and I'm actually expecting a story, we're already hard at work on volume two of the Sales Success Stories book, and I'm expecting a story um, about that very thing, about sort of finding that boss and hitching uh, your wagon to that and using that as a way to accelerate your career. But the importance of finding somebody who can be your partner and that you can develop that level of trust with where they're going to help you succeed. Because at the end of the day, this is a a partnership, right? The more successful I am, the more successful you are. You don't know, no sales leader wants their reps to fail, right? So, but you've got to find people that are willing to work with you and, and help you find that next level. The, the thing I always look for in the sales leaders I, I want to work with is don't tell me your way and the way that I need to do it. Take the idea that I have and let's polish it together so that it shines and it, and it turns into a diamond, right? Don't, your way may not fit my style and the way that I operate. So if I try and execute that, it may not be nearly as, as successful as it's been for you because it fits your style. Well, so how does somebody interview for that? Right? How do you, how do you interview your boss? That is, and how, that is and how do you bring that up? How do you bring that up? You know, this, this insistence that you have a better, perhaps a better way for you to do it than, yeah, how do you, how do you have that conversation interview? You know, I, it's something that I'm actually working on flushing out. I don't know that I have that answer, but I've been asking about it. And it's it's actually a, a topic that I, I think we will bring to the the next sales success summit. So I've, I've got some number of months to, to work through this. I think part of it's the interview, but I think it's also the way you do your due diligence around a new opportunity. I am a huge fan of the back channel mm-hmm. and finding other people who have worked for that leader before, but aren't currently working for them. Because if they're currently there, a lot of times there's pressure and I don't want anything to get back and right. this, this could impact me. But let me find a couple of people that have worked for them before and ask these types of questions, right? Here are the things that I like to try and do. How, how, has, how has that worked for you in the, in the way that you operate in it? Just getting at the truth of what's it really like to work for this person? Because I think you get a really different answer if I'm like, well, Andy, you know, are, are you going to be comfortable if I come in and I have an, a different idea and I, I want to try that? Are, are we going to be able to work together on that? You're going to say, yeah, sure, Scott, of course I'll work with you on, on, on that. No, probably not. I mean, if, especially if you have a newer sales manager, Who's looking at saying, "Look, I I can't afford to have somebody that's uh, a wild card in the deck right now because yeah, I'm trying to make my number." Sure, sure, yeah. So I I think it's I think it's a really important discussion, and and like everything, it it comes from uh, both sides. But I I think that you again, you have to find somebody that is going to 
invest in you and help you succeed and help you develop and just be open about these these conversations you know i one, one of the stories in the in the book that i i love a lot and he talked about it um, at the at the first summit, so Mike Dudgeon uh, was the number one account executive at LinkedIn mm-hmm. uh, before they got acquired by by Microsoft, and he's been in a leadership role the last couple of years. But one of the things that he did in that role, but also that he enables his team around, he talks to them about treating their sales career like a franchise or treating their territory like a franchise, Mm -hmm. right? So when you're doing that, you're building a plan. Here's how I'm going to execute. But you're also looking at how am I going to grow, right? This is all about revenue growth. And it's not just about the way that you're delivering the the numbers and the way that you're selling. It's also about how do you sharpen that ax and get better and get more efficient so that you can continue to to grow and, and be on a trajectory, right? Because I don't want to be in, in this exact same role that I'm in 10 years from now. We all want to continue to grow and progress in our careers. So what do you need to do that as well? And, and not just looking at this quarter, the next quarter, but taking a longer term view and thinking about what are the skills that I'm going to need to be great in future roles three, four, and five years from now? Well, I think there's another way to look at that because, because I mean, if you look at the numbers, I mean, just the ratio of sales, sellers to sales managers, obviously not everybody is going to continue to progress up the ranks, right? The the numbers just don't work out. And yeah, the overwhelming majority of people in sales are career salespeople. You know, they've been doing it for a long time. But your point is still valid in the sense that the environment is changing so much and the way we sell and the way people buy is changing so much that that even if you're happy with the role you're in, you're a you know, senior account executive or senior account manager or something, you still need to evolve. You still need to grow. You still need to acquire new skills because if you don't, market's going to leave you behind. So I think to me, it's sort of a sensitive point because I actually know a lot of people that, you know, got pushed up into management because they thought that's where they wanted to go. And they said, well, no, that's not where I want to go. A, I wasn't making as much money as manager as I was as a seller. I don't like the additional responsibility. I just like working with my customers. And did a U-turn and went back and became career salespeople. Knew a lot of people that did that. Um, and that's great. But those same people, if you do that, and I I want people to become career salespeople. I, you know, this is this is the thing that I think is really an ideal because if you develop that craft, you become really good at it. You know, sort of this false sense of thinking, I gotta, I gotta become a manager. Why? Right? I mean, if you love what you do and you continue to grow and you're taking on maybe more complex accounts or more difficult accounts or, you know, there's growth within the sales role, feel encouraged to do that. But you still have that same imperative, right? I got to get better. I got to improve my craft in everything I do. A hundred percent. So I am one of those. You just described me very well. And I think oh. of myself as an intentional individual contributor. Mm-hmm. And I've, I never even had to make the U-turn. I, I've seen enough <laughs> of, of what's involved at the management layer to realize, yeah, I, I really don't have an interest in that. I love what I do. And, and for me, being having made that decision, I've been at this. I don't, I don't even want to do the math. I've been at this long enough. You're, Sales, a, young, you're a young man. Yeah, but I've been doing this a while. Uh, sales just gets more and more and more fun when you treat it that way, right? When you when you become a student and you treat it as a craft and you continue to hone your skill and improve yourself, things get easier. Like you get into the zone and it is fun. 
Mm-hmm. Because I, I, it's for folks that are new in their careers, it can be a struggle. Like this gig is hard. Oh, yeah. But it's like anything. The more you practice, the more you do it, the better you get, the more fun it it becomes. And you know, you can make that intentional choice to decide, hey, I'm gonna be an individual contributor on purpose. The money's pretty good. I like the work that I do. I get to control a lot of things in my life, and I don't have to worry about the schedules of eight other people or six or other the performance of eight other people. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, got I'm, I'm, I got this. I got this. Yeah, no, I, I, there were times in my career, I sort of took the the promotion route and becoming senior management and so on, but I'm sure I'm like everybody who did that, who didn't think, who stopped and thought at one moment, why am I doing this? Because <laughs> now I'm farther away from doing what I really liked, uh, which is part of the reason starting my own company, you know, nearly 20 years ago, to help other companies yeah. is to be closer to to the action again. Um, well, here's a question that, that, I pose and because I think it's something that people don't conceptualize enough and don't think about enough. But we're talking about the need for individual contributors, anybody in sales, to invest in their own success, invest in their own growth, personal growth, which leads to professional growth. So how much should somebody be willing to invest on an annual basis, dollar-wise, in their own growth? Own money, spending their own money, how much should they be willing to invest that's a good question. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't thought about it, um, but I just do the math. I mean, I, I think that that is fairly straightforward from a, you know, pull out the back of the envelope and, and you're earning X. So, and, and let's, let's, let's talk this through, right? Let's, let's use some, some real numbers. So just so I can keep the numbers round and do math easily sure. on the fly. Right? Let's makes say makes $100,000, $100, right? There we go. And here, here's the thing. If you get 10% better in sales, at minimum, unless there's something weird going on, at minimum, you're going to make 10% more. You're probably going to make a lot more than that 10% mm-hmm. because you're going to be into accelerators and there's going to be spiffs and you're going to go on that president's club trip and, and you're going to be on a different trajectory. So not just, again, you have to take, this as an investment, right? So you don't look at what's the return of, of my investment next year. You're looking at the return of that investment over a longer time horizon. Sure, so, over a lifetime. Right. So think about the compound effect of that and moving into uh, higher paying roles and, and the like. Right. So if I know that if I can if I can make an investment and get 10 percent better next year and that's probably going to equate to let's just make it easy and say 15 percent more money. Why wouldn't I be? And that's just next year. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at getting a hundred percent ROI or more in year one with a lifetime value that's probably immeasurable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's unreasonable at all to say, gosh, five or 10% of that hundred thousand dollars seems totally within reason. Now, I think the other factor that you have to consider is it's not just the dollars. To me, I think more about the time. Mm-hmm. Right. What is what is the time and energy I'm going to need to invest? And is it something that I can do consistently? Right. I, I think I, I've I just recorded a um, uh, one of the tips. I just launched this new daily sales tips podcast. I, I recorded a tip about minimum viable habits. 
Because I, I find that, and, and I suffer from this, and I've, I've learned a lot from falling on my face over the course of my career. I tend to um, try and sprint marathons. Mm-hmm. And um, that usually doesn't work out very well in, over time. And instead, I've really started to think about what is something that I know easily that I can maintain but do every day. And that compounding becomes absolutely incredible. So I think you have to sort of break it down. Like, what's the goal? What's, what's the end game? Where am I trying to get, say, a year from now? And chunk that down to the daily effort required. And then make a decision on that. Is that something that I can commit to that I can do every day? And I know you've been talking about 10 minutes a day mm-hmm. with, with the sales house. Great. That, if you can do 10 minutes a day every day, that beats the heck out of somebody that does 20 minutes once a week, sometimes every other week. Sometimes I do an hour, but that's once a month. It's the consistency and yep. it's, it's, the, it's the deliberate practice that is going to get you to, to great. You know, there's, if, if you've read Outliers and, you've, and you right, know 10, about 10,000 hours, hours and all this stuff, it's not 10,000 hours of practice. It's 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. practice so are right. you being deliberate in the way that you are trying to develop yourself? I, I think that's the key in, in a lot of this stuff. Not, not just personal development, but this, this applies to prospecting and a lot of the other things that we do in sales as well. Yeah, well, in my mind, that all emanates from personal development. So, um, but I agree. That time is as as critical a factor as as the money, but if you're going to invest the money, you need to set aside the time. I mean, it, this is not like a gym membership, right? Yeah, and so yeah. it's it's not either or. I would, it's, it's both. Yeah. And and to your point about habits, then is is for people to think about. Okay, well, I, I know I need to do something, but this you know time is an issue, and I I hear that from people that sign up for the sales house and say. Yeah, I'm just concerned whether I have the time for this, and that's why we talk about ten minutes a day. Is you know, habits are a matter of choice, right? So you're choosing between doing one of two things, typically, right? Is is either the bad behavior or the good behavior? Um, you know, you need to put yourself in position to making a good choice, and and part of that is understanding what the reward is that starts coming back. And the reward is fairly, for me, I believe the reward is fairly immediate for engaging in in learning, right? Because you're going to learn something. You know, they listen to your one of your sales tips, and he says, uh, you know, him or her listens to it. They go out, they apply it that day. Well, that's an immediate reward. Well, I want to come back tomorrow and get another one of those. And maybe they, you know, it's not the same level of thing they can take every day, but but it draws them back. And I think people a really sort of critical skill for people to learn is how to change habits, how to develop habits. I know a lot's being written about it. James Clear's got a great book about it out and called Atomic Habits, which I recommend people read. Uh, and yeah, I write about it extensively in the sales houses. Is If you understand how habits develop, you understand this, this sort of habit loop, it's very powerful. And it's a great way to integrate learning. And it could be as simple as saying, look, I'm just, this is my favorite <laughs> thing I sort of beat all the time is, yeah. Just don't watch that episode of The Bachelor this week. <laughs> and instead, turn off the TV and you know, watch a video, listen to a podcast, read a chapter in a book. Andy, you, you must have been looking at my reading list or, or been somehow spying on, on what I've been doing. I, I actually find that the investment in that area, in not, it's less for me at this stage about 
the sales skills and it's more about the overall productivity process habits it's it's the way that i execute on my day mm-hmm. because that's what gives me all the leverage right that's what allows me to create time to have conversations that are going to help me develop myself you know that's that's going to give me the time to execute on the the other strategies and the approaches that i'm trying to run against my accounts because if i'm flailing and so it, it's funny i was in uh, california earlier this week and i i drove everywhere and it was raining i spent a crud ton of time uh, in the car san mm-hmm. jose santa rosa santa cruz i was all over the place and I listened to Daniel Pink's win, mm-hmm. and I'm about halfway through Cal Newport's deep work. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing I'm taking away from all of that, and, and it, it's, it's mostly reinforcement. It, again, a lot of this stuff is, you already know this stuff. It's the translation of taking the learning and applying it. And so the thing that I'm re- Uh, establishing in my routines is the elimination of distractions. Mm -hmm. I turned off a crud ton of notifications on my phone. I turned off a whole bunch of stuff. I I cleared out about, I don't, I don't even want to admit the number, a large number of browser tabs uh, in in Chrome (laughs) just, just this morning, right? Because we, we as humans do not multitask period. I mean, empirically proven, that's not a thing. (laughs) So, if that's the case, how can you create opportunities and make it so that you can focus? And I'm, th- I'm rethinking about the, the way that I deal with social. I, I turned off my LinkedIn notifications and decided, you know what? No, that, that will be a reward for that like dip in my afternoon when I'm pretty much useless anyway. Like that three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're According not to Dan Pink. Happens. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, right. I'll go play with LinkedIn then. That's, that's a good period. And, and I'll create a time limit. Like, 20 minutes. I shouldn't need any more than that, you know, to, to discover what I need to discover and have the conversations I need to have. And and then we move on. So to your point, it's some of those foundational skills that creates the the time. There's, there's always time. It's, it's just a, it's a lack of priorities and focus. Yeah. And yeah, I have uh, deep work coming up on my, my uh, list here. It's actually near the top of my list right now is there was a interview that, um, Tim Herrera, who writes the Smart Amp, Smarter Living column in the New York Times, had with with Cal Newport uh, last week or early this week, actually, and in about deep work and focus. And he's got a new book coming out called Digital Minimalism, which is all about eliminating you know some of the digital footprint that we have. And I think it's absolutely that's a great habit to talk about because um, you know we're just in an era where there are more distractions. And and I found like when I was writing my books is. Yeah, I'd have to set my computer into a dark mode where, you know, everything, notifications, internet, everything was was just off and I just had a black screen. Um, and we sort of have to, we all have to sort of think about, you know, how we integrate that type of focus into our life. Because then, yeah, a lot of things we're trying to do become easier when we actually do a concentrated amount of work on them in a shorter period of time. So that's that's a really important habit. And even in sales, right? Because I think we have also this misconception that always available and I have to be the fastest one to respond. But you know what? If you're on site with a client or, or you're in an important discovery call, 
you're you're blocked out for 30 minutes or an mm-hmm. hour. You're not responding to people immediately in those times. So why aren't you willing to carve out that time for yourself? Because there's lots of deep work that we should be doing in sales, right? That we're oftentimes not. Did mm-hmm. I do a call plan? Do I have a strategy mm-hmm. for this next meeting that I'm going to have, right? Do, do I have an overall strategy for this account or the way that I'm going to break through in my prospecting or whatever it is? There are so many opportunities for that. And again, we're, we're never rarely focusing because there's just so much stuff coming at us and we feel like we have to be so responsive, but I don't, I don't think that's true. You know, heck carve out response blocks on, on your calendar. Maybe we, maybe we turn the dichotomy upside down and go, you know what? I'm going to be hyper responsive from nine to 10 in the morning and from two to three in the afternoon. I don't, I don't know. And I think that, I mean, this is a process for me and I feel like this is my superpower. I have been developing and improving and refining and getting back on board with these processes for 10 or 15 years. But it's what allows me to do. People look at me and like, Scott, how are you managing a $3 million quota releasing not only these these epic sales success story interview podcasts mm-hmm. every other week, but now doing a daily show mm-hmm. and you're you're writing a book. Well, I don't really write the book. I just curate this stuff. And and then you're hosting the sales success summit. Like, how are you doing all of that? Oh, wait, and you have a wife and two kids and, and your wife doesn't want to divorce right now? How are you doing all of that? And it's because I have refined this process process of productivity for myself. And, and I'm also cheating this year. I just, I just hired a full-time virtual assistant mm-hmm. that is helping a ton on the, on the podcast side of things. But you know what? It's actually from a refinement process. It has been amazing because it's forcing me to think through and document all of the things that I do so that I can hand them off Man, that that process is enlightening. Like I I would suggest to people, go hire a a virtual assistant, even if you do it for a month, because the process of trying to get them on board and and understanding how you do all that you do will help you understand yourself Mm -hmm. so much better. It's been absolutely incredible. No, I love it. Love it. Now, responsiveness. That's an interesting thing you brought up because that that's been my superpower. I mean, it's really been a huge differentiator for me throughout my entire career. Um, but to your point is, yeah, if you're in a meeting, you're in a meeting. You know, if you've got to make a block of calls in your calendar, you got two hours blocked out, great. Make your calls. Don't get distracted, right? You can be responsive. The thing is, you set a standard for responsiveness these days. You know, I made, you know, one of my fears is, you know, being on an airplane and getting, you know, five hours and I can't respond to calls or something. But but the fact is, <laughs> people don't get responses to a lot of things they send out. And so even if you're doing it two hours later, three hours later, four hours later, people still think you're a hero, that you're responding and getting back to them at all. I mean, I, I always sort of do this thing where I'll tell people, hey, I'm sorry it took so long to get back to you. And they're like, all right, it hasn't been that long. <laughs> but, you know, you set a standard and you live up to it. So your point is, yeah, you can't. Responsiveness to me, hugely important, but within the confines of your productivity. Yeah. Well, the, and here's the thing. All of this stuff, 
ideally, the, the way that it's going to work the best is you have to figure it out for yourself. Like my recipe may not work for you. You might get some insights from seeing the way that I operate mm-hmm. and, and the way that I yeah, do like things, I said. but it's probably not going to fit you perfectly. You have to figure out what is that thing and how do you find that balance of productivity with responsiveness? Maybe you have deep work days and those happen on, on Monday and Friday. Right. And you're a little bit less responsive on those days, but mm-hmm. you are the man on the spot Tuesday through Thursday, like whatever you, but be, I think it comes back to being intentional about this stuff and making decisions about this stuff and not just getting blown around in, in the sea of, of notifications and everything that, that beeps and buzzes at you, which that will crush you. It will. And yeah, they, you know, they're insidious and you know, there's whole research done about uh, how often people check their phone, this whole phenomenon called super checker. And super checkers check their phone on average 52 times a day. And it's somewhat skewed age-wise, but not completely. And think about it. 52 times a day, you're taking your attention away from something you're doing. Look at what? Right? Look yeah. at what? And, and, and that's and that's only what? Like uh, four times an hour? I mean, uh, I would bet. I still fall in this category. I'm working on it. Sure. So we're all but works in progress. 52, that's it? <laughs> I'm well, sure that's what, if you're listening to this and you're not thinking that, you know, it, it, we're all a work in progress. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, the, and it's a huge thing. I actually got into an argument with a quote unquote argument with a, a woman who was in the audience for a presentation I was doing for a, a company. This whole idea about not taking her phone into calls or turning her phone off and during calls. No, 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 no. And it's, you know, it's funny to have a little heart to heart, but what's, what's going to happen? Right. Yeah. You know, in the, in the half hour you're with the customer, or the hour you're with the customer, what's going to happen? Right. Right. And what are you going to do if there is something totally on fire? You're going to walk out of that. Yeah, meeting? Walk, I, it, comes, yeah. it comes back to just being present, right? Yeah. Right. Right now I'm talking with you. That's it. Yep. I hope so. Actually, and, and isn't that what our clients want? Like, my God, you know how upset I'm going to be if like, I'm trying to work with you and I know that you're looking at your phone 10 times in the course of our conversation. You're not with me. I yeah. need you to help me. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of the, the podcast interview I was interviewed with a, a guy who was a, a personal productivity guru, quote unquote guru. And uh, yeah, he, he typed during our entire conversation. So that interview didn't run, by the way. <laughs> I got, got deleted as soon as it was done. So that messes up the audio too. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but it was just like, really, <laughs> really, you're the one that approached me about being on the show. Um, so anyway, well, good. Well, Scott, we could go on forever, but uh, we can't today. So we'll have you back on. We'll do it another time. So tell folks how they can learn more about what you're doing with your your podcasts. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you to one spot and you should be able to surf everything from there. So if you go to top1.fm, that's the number one, that will take you to the Sales Success Stories podcast page. From there, you can get to daily sales tips. You can learn about the summit. You can learn about the Sales Success Stories books. And uh, man, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. Would love for for folks to jump into that and, and get involved. The, the daily sales tips is, is a fun new adventure. It's, it's a daily show, but it's five to 10 minutes or less and uh, less than an hour a week so that you can binge through the whole thing and hear from a whole wide range of different perspectives and, and things like that. So having a ton of fun with that as well. Very cool. Very cool. I was on that daily podcast route for a while. So 
good luck. Thank you. <laughs> it's it's a commitment, but it's yeah, you do you learn a lot. That's the thing that's incredible about it. So you learn a lot doing it. You learn a lot listening to it. So make sure you check that out. And uh, Scott, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me back, Andy. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Scott Ingram, for taking time to spend with us today. Join me again next week for our first episode of Q2. And my guest will be Pete Williams. Pete's an entrepreneur, advisor, marketer, and author of an interesting book called Cadence, A Tale of Fast Business Growth. In our conversation, we're going to dig into Pete's seven levers for fast business growth and talk about the importance of continuous marginal improvement. In other words, getting smarter, better, faster every single day. Taking the time to learn to get smarter, better, faster every day. All right, be sure to join us then next week. Before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. It's your B2B sales growth engine. Visit thesaleshouse.com. All right, thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.